Hi, I'm Paul. And I'm Beck. And this is DVD Clutter. Um, hi. Hi, how are you doing? Welcome to my house. Thanks. We're here to talk about your DVD. We are. And decluttering. That's it. That's what the podcast's about, in case you're listening for the first time, which you might be. Yeah, welcome. This is a podcast where we're 90% DVD, 10% declutter. In my case, if I'm completely honest with our listeners, Mm. maybe 5% declutter. It is. Every time I'm talking to listeners, which I do occasionally. (laughs) um, We we mix with our fans. We mix with the people. That's it. The joke (laughs) is, um, is Beck going to give away a DVD? (laughs) She does. No. You don't, I gave it you to you. Yeah, that's it. Beetlejuice that one time. That's it. They found that very funny. Yeah. Speaking of interaction with fans, I've had a bit of like Vin Diesel has been a talking point. Oh, because everyone loves him. Yeah. Like a lot of people, because we talked a bit about his background, but people were really like, hey, this is actually his background. Oh, and? Um, so do you know the Pitch Black movies? No. Or the something like that? They're a series of films that he's made oh. and apparently they are his life. He loves oh. them, and he does everything else, including Fast and Furious, just so he can keep producing those films. Oh, that's nice. Yep, and like releasing them wide for no one to see. <laughs> <laughs> can we find them somewhere? I'm sure we will. Oh. Um, also, uh, my brother said that The Pacifier was <laughs> the greatest acting achievement of the 20th century. So, Whoa, that is know, a big goal. Yep, we need to calm down on the Pacifier jets. Was that movie from 1999, though? It wasn't. Well. And look, I do need to apologise. Last podcast, I, I don't know. I was, I was in a bit of a mood. <laughs> 1999 was a good year. 1992, which our film was, from, was a good year. 1994 was a good year. Well, I guess that's what you were arguing for, really. You were mm. arguing that 1999 wasn't the only good year. Yeah. And you were getting real head up about it. Just Yeah. <laughs> which I shouldn't have. And I'm not going to do again. No, look, it's funny. I'm here sipping my tea, being calm. <laughs> Um, I think our listeners enjoy it when uh, one of us goes off the rails. That's it. <laughs> Speaking of going off the rails, this week's movie is all about going off the rails. Oh my God. No one is being a professional. No. It's not they? the professional, though. Leon the no, professional. No. So we're looking at Reservoir Dogs. Yep. Or Reservoir Dogs, depending on where you're from. <laughs> or Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> or Reservoir. Reservoir Dogs, Tarantino, uh, Quentin Tarantino's number one first film. First directed. Debut feature, some might say. Debut feature. Yeah. Yeah. Small budget. Tiny budget. But all the quintessential Tarantino... Isms. Isms. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Um, More pronounced now, looking back on it too, which we we will get to. What what is it? More pronounced now. I think looking back on it now, you're like, whoa. Yeah. A lot of this problematic stuff, yeah. Like I didn't realise... Because, look, you know, as much as I like film, I'm not... Excuse, make all excuses in the name of yeah, art. That's of, it. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, and also I'm not like so over. It's not like I know so much about film that when you have these sort of conversations, I can immediately go back to every film that Tarantino's oh, yeah. done. Yes, and look at their minutiae. Yeah. yeah. So watching it in a new context was um, interesting. Yeah, but we'll get to that. In this podcast, what happens is we bring a DVD to the table, we discuss it, we watch it. We watch it, Yeah. we discuss it, uh, and then we decide whether it's a keeper, it's an op shop, or it has its ear chopped off oh. and it's set on fire. Yeah, we do. Mm. Most of the films that we're looking at are ones that we have for various reasons, so we talk a little bit about why we bought them. Yes. So they're films that we actually own on DVD, yes. not just any random whatever film no. that's just come out. No. Um, we're not one of those podcasts. No, exactly. We have a, we have a, purpose. We have a niche mouth. <laughs> So today, out of your 500 DVDs, you have chosen to watch this film. Yes. Why did you buy it? Why did I buy it? Well, I want to talk a bit about the film and I want to talk about this DVD. Oh, yeah. This copy. So I've got a a special tin case edition, Reservoir Dogs. In fact, uh, my wife has suggested to me that I start to clear out the ones with the bulky cases. Oh, genius. Yeah, just to get, you know, a bit more room going in the old DVD cupboard. But it's very, it's um, quite solid. Yeah. So you could use this as a pencil case. Could do. Uh, do you remember Easy DVD? No. So back when DVDs were sort of like, it wasn't when they were just new enough, it was when they were going to stick. I've been reading um, a couple of old film books recently with some interviews with directors, and there was this one with Tim Burton that was sort of like, it was a live interview, and someone from the crowd asked, oh, you know, are you going to do a commentary for Batman? And he goes, yeah, I think we've decided now that DVDs are going to stick around, oh. so we're hoping to get an edition out soon. So, so there was that time where people that, were like... Before that, they'd been like, oh, not sure, it's yeah, just yeah. another laser disc fiasco. That's it. 
No um, one's going to... Yeah. It'll Are we going to re-release all this stuff and yep. do commentaries and stuff? So, look, DVDs had made enough of a mark that they were, the people were buying them. And this shop called Easy DVD started up in Australia. And their shtick was that they would get DVDs and then they'd design exclusive like covers for them or oh. have merchandise with them oh. and they actually had like bricks and mortar stores they cool. had one in melbourne central wow which like when i came down to melbourne i was like straight there oh yeah but, yeah but they were a bit more expensive than yeah. going to, like your jb and yeah. you know they were special yeah so this is one of the editions i got so had you seen the movie before you bought this no oh so it wasn't like because i would assume you would wait till it was your favorite movie like one of your good ones and you're like okay i'm gonna spend the extra money yeah and get this special edition but no i wanted to like this movie though because i knew (laughs) it was i'd read film books that always sort of talked about like this indie cinema movement of the early 90s and this was like one of the cornerstone ones of them right it had a history with me so i wasn't allowed to see this movie because of the r rating -rated. Um, and fair enough too looking back on it so I remember my sister did a year 11 presentation on it. They got to choose their topic or something. At, she watched this at school? Not at school. They got to choose their own cinema topic and talk oh. about, and she talked about violence in cinema. Oh, cool. Um, so she'd seen it uh, and I wasn't able to see it, but I remember yeah. watching her presentation. She and your included, sister's like three years younger than you? No, two, just yeah, kidding. That's it. <laughs> um, yeah. She um, included the sound clip of the year scene. Oh, yeah. And sort of did a commentary over the top of it talking yeah. about juxtaposition and yeah, wow. violence. Yeah. Um, so I'd only sort of heard that. On top of that, my dad had the soundtrack to this. It is an excellent soundtrack. Um, which is just brilliant. Yeah. Um, and I'd heard all the, the songs from it, but also it has some of the dialogue bits in it. Yeah. Um, which we normally skipped over because... <laughs> A couple of <laughs> well, uh, naughty not, words. Not, well, it's not just that also, but it's like quite intense yes. themes and such. So I saw it as a very cool film and I'd read on it and I'd read on Tarantino. Yeah. So this was definitely one I wanted to buy. So I would have bought it around, it would have been around year 11 or 12. I'm going to say probably year 12. Yeah. And then it was sort of in my stage where my setup as a a high school student was I had a projector above my bed. So I used to just watch movies and TV like all the time. And I'd sort of swap between watching it up on the big screen or watching it on my computer in front of me. Oh my God, we had such different upbringings. (laughs) Um. And this one I seem to actually remember I watched on my computer, though. I didn't yeah. put it up on the screen for whatever reason, like yeah. whether I wanted to put my headphones in. Was it disorientating? No, it wasn't on the roof. So I oh, was on the lion bed and it would be the wall in front of oh, me. Oh, perfect. Yeah, it was just brilliant. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's when I first saw it. And I blindly consumed. Like, I, mm. I can't actually really remember apart from sort of being like, yes, I've seen that now. Now to watch yes. next film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Must yeah, yeah. watch all cinema. Yes, must know everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, there's those times where I'd like watch two or two and a half movies or movies with special features in a night oh my god how because i don't know i was didn't you like sleep i remember sometimes i'd be watching until the sun came up and be like oh no (laughs) and then you have to go to school no no this was like on holidays and stuff like what yeah this wasn't school nights (laughs) (laughs) i was a big old nerd and i was doing a lot of musical theater so i was normally out most nights thank you for that so anyway that's how i watched it and then I've seen bits and pieces. I know it sort of played in common rooms when I was in college. And, oh, you yeah. Know, it's been on. on I the feel like I might have seen it at another stage. But it, it shocked me so much now that I can't think I would have seen it that recently. Yeah. But, yeah, I very much saw it for the sake of I'm getting into cinema. So tick this one off the list. Yep, yep, yep. Which I did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, yeah, like a double tick, I think, by buying it yeah. in the special edition. Cool. Well, that's great. Mm-hmm. Should I give you a rundown of the plot? You should. All right. I'd love to see how you do this, too. Because <laughs> it's a classic Tarantino. It's not like we just go ABC. No, it's, it's... a non-linear yeah. storyline. Um... Could I sound like more of a wanker? Classic Tarantino. It doesn't oh, go no. <laughs> I do apologise. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm leaving that in the edit to, no, I've to been... name and shame but you. But I... We've talked about, like, we talked about auteurs before and, like, with Tim Burton and mm. sometimes it being so obvious yeah. that it's, like, Again, their thing. And first, yeah, it's just very... No, it's all right. It's just very obvious that this is... Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, you are right. It. it is classic Tarantino and everybody knows his things. Well, that's just it, yeah. It's classic, not like... Yeah. You're not a wanker if you know what Tarantino's things are. Me in first-year cinema when they said, oh, you can write on any auteur. And I'm like, so Tim Burton or Tarantino? Yeah, exactly. Like, what, there's no other... <laughs> Exactly. They're the only people that punch it in your face. Exactly, that's right. Yes. So, you know, the layperson could tell you that 
Tim Burton, oh, Tim Burton, <laughs> that Tarantino does violent films. Mm. So we open the movie, it's in a diner, classic American diner. There's, I don't know, like five, six guys, eight guys sitting around having breakfast. Yeah. Most of them are wearing like suit and ties and they're just having breakfast, they're talking shit. It's basically, they're just talk, telling stories. Yeah. They're just talking shit, yeah. um, having breakfast, whatever. Yeah. And I just want to jump in it because it's, it's in this scene where you can just see, because this is Tarantino's. One of the guys, he's Mr. Brown. Yes, he is, yeah. Yeah, good on him for having a go. But when you cast Tim Roth, Steve Buscemi, Harvey Cattell around you, <laughs> it really does highlight that you're not an actor, yes, you know? Yes, That was the first thing that just bowled me over watching yeah. that first scene. I'm like, whew, that sticks out. Just don't, don't talk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he put like, because his dialogue's great, but he pushes it where everyone else can sort of... Relax into relaxes it. Relaxes it, leaves yeah. it. And yeah. he just like... Oh, man. <laughs> I need to say a line now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. so, yeah, Tarantino's put himself into the film. He's not in it a lot. He just is, no. every now and then, he's part of this group of people. Mm. So they're having breakfast, whatever. Cuts, they're obviously planning something. Something's going to happen. One of the guys gets up. It's clear that he's in charge. He is going to take, you know, pay all their bills, whatever. His name's Joe. Um, and he's like, all right, guys, let's get going. Let's get moving. Next scene is in the back of a car. Um, one of the guys... Mr. They all have names, so that the code names, so that they don't know each other's names. So if they get caught because they're going on a thieving expedition, they're going yeah. on a job, a heist, a heist. Thank there you. you. Go, that's the word. They're going to steal some uh, diamonds. Yeah. Some stones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we cut to this next scene. Ah, I'm going to die. Thanks. <laughs> all the blood's panicking me out, Larry. So one of the guys whose code name is Mr. Orange has been shot in the stomach. That's Tim Roth. That's Tim yep. Roth, played by Tim Roth. And Harvey Keitel's character, Mr. White, is driving him. Mm-hmm. They've told each other their, their first names now because obviously he's about to die and he was like, tell me your name, tell me your name, whatever. Um, so he's like screaming, about to die, blood everywhere. He's freaking out. Mr. White, Harvey Keitel's character, is trying to calm him down. We're going to get to the rendezvous. We're going to get you... A doctor. A doctor. Joe's going to get you a doctor. Joe's going to get you a doctor. Da, da, da. The other guy's screaming for him to take him to the hospital because he's like... I just need to go to the hospital. Just drop me outside. Yeah, you don't have to take me in. You don't have to take me in. Paul's... <laughs> okay. He's great. I love that. I love... Yeah. Tim Roth's really good. He is really He's good. good actor. He's a great actor. Okay, so they make it to the rendezvous point. Obviously, Mr. Orange is still freaking out. Um, Mr. White is like trying to calm him down, trying to get him to stay calm, whatever. Joe's going to get here soon. He'll get you a doctor, blah, blah, blah. Suddenly, Steve... Bashimi. Bashimi's character. <laughs> <laughs> Say it again. Bashimi. Steve Buscemi's character, Mr. Pink, turns up and he's like freaking out because he reckons someone set them up. He's like, how on earth could have there been so many cops all of a sudden? They knew it was a setup. They knew we were coming for the diamonds. Da 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 da. Mr. White's like, no, nah, it can't be. And then he's like, oh, maybe it is. Mm. They have a bit of a like, they yell a lot at each other yeah. about who set up who. That goes on for ages until. We get, oh, then we get Mr. White's backstory too. So we. Hear, oh yes, yeah, sorry. We find then we out- cut. To, to Mr. White's backstory. How Larry got involved with this project. He's yeah. done heists before. Yeah. And Joe called him in to do this diamond heist. Yeah. And Cut. he's known Joe for a long time. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think the... he's known Joe's son, Eddie, for a while. I think that's more Mr. Blonde. Oh, yeah. Mr. Yeah. Blonde has. Yeah. Cut back to the current present warehouse, time. Yeah. To the warehouse. These two, Mr. White and Mr. Pink, have got like had it up to here with each other. And they're pointing guns at each other. They're about to shoot each other. But who walks in? Mr. Blonde. Mr. Blonde. Michael Madsen. And Michael Madsen's like standing there with his like... Soda. Soda. His uh, fizzy drink. Soft drink, as we call it here. He's looking real cool. And he's just basically like, guys, what the fuck are you doing? Calm down. They go off at him because apparently he started the shooting. Yeah. They were like, you're a maniac. You can't do that. They think he's... Why did Joe let them go on this mission with this maniac who can't keep his cool. He does look like a maniac as well. Oh, yeah. Look and acted like a maniac. Mm -hmm. And then, anyway, they kind of settle their differences, whatever. And then we hear about Mr. Blonde's story. We hear about Mr. Blonde's story. So Mr. Blonde had just got out of prison like a couple of days ago, essentially, maybe a week ago. And he had worked for the family for a long time. So he'd worked for Joe and was close friends with Joe's son, Eddie. Who was played by Chris Penn. Thank you. Sean Penn's brother. Thank you. (laughs) So they were friends growing up. He knows Joe, got out of prison. Joe was like, we'll sort you out with a job, a legitimate job to get your parole officer on your back, off your back, um, and then we'll get you on to doing some proper work as well. So that's how he 
turned up into this situation. So Cut back to the shed. Cut back to the shed. Mr. Blonde has kidnapped a cop. He's like, guys, I've got something that I really want to show you. It's out in the car. They all go out to the car. He opens up the boot. What's in the boot? A cop. So they they bring the cop in. They, like, beat the shit out of him. Yeah. Tie him to a chair. Treat him like a punching bag. They are trying to get out of him who is the rat. Yeah. So who set them up? He's like, I don't know anything. I don't know anything. And then... Fast Eddie turns up. Fast Eddie turns like, up. you guys are really fucked up. He's like, Joe's really pissed. He calls him daddy. Daddy's really pissed. Um, he's going to come. You guys have fucked it up. We need to sort this shit out. They're like, we've got a rat. He's like, I don't know. Don't yeah. know about that. I'm not sure. And then they were still trying to beat the shit out of this cop. And Eddie says a very insightful thing. He says, you can beat the shit out of him and he'll tell you in a thing. Mm. Doesn't mean it's going to be true. Yeah. And I was like... That is correct. So true. You're forcing a confession. That's it. So um, then Mr. Pink admits that he's got the stones. And oh, yes. Them in a yes that's right. He's like, I've got the stones. I put them in a separate location because I thought the cops would be here. Clever yeah. thinking. Yeah. So then Fast Eddie is like, all right, Mr. White, Mr. Pink, you come with me. We're going to go get the stones. And we're going to get the, rid of the cars because there's too many cars around here. Yeah. Joe will be pissed if he sees everyone parked out the front of our rendezvous spot. Fine. They leave. Who's left? So we've got Mr. Orange lying on the floor in a pool of his own blood. Yep. Shot in the stomach. He's passed out by now. We've got the cop tied to a chair. Hating life. Obviously, it's all terrible. And then Mr. Blonde is there as well. So Mr. Blonde is like having the time of his life. He turns on the radio. He's like... But I don't know why I came here He gets out a razor blade. He gets out a razor blade. He basically says to this cop... Look, I'm going to torture you, but I know you're not going to tell me anything. I'm just going to torture you because I like it. Yeah. And it is really disgusting. It's like the the scene that yes. this film is known for. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just, I had to look away. Mm. Um, uh, I tried to fast forward, but my fast forward button wasn't working properly. Yeah, um, <laughs> In fact, it kept repeating a few times. <laughs> it was like, not nice. <laughs> we'll talk about um, the special features, but lots of different angles of that shot were taken oh, and they actually made it a lot. Yeah. Which... When we can talk about the rele- that scene, because I think that scene is important yes. as to what the film is, whether or not it's been made something by critics right. and film scholars more so than what Tarantino intended for it really to be. Yeah, I mean, it's was quite able to articulate. It's quite a cleverly. <laughs> put, he's a clever filmmaker. Oh yeah, yeah. Anyway, besides the point. Back to the story. Yeah. So this Mr. Blonde guy, the other guys were talking about how. So, uh, how much of a psychopath he was. Turns out he's a fucking psychopath. Mm-hmm. So he turns on the music, he's like dancing around, slashes this guy up a bit, cuts off his ear. He then goes out to the car, gets some gasoline, comes in, pours the petrol all over this guy. The guy's like screaming for mercy, whatever. Just as he's about to light this the petrol fire. on fire, he gets shot. <laughs> really quickly, lots yeah. of times, by Mr. Orange, yeah. who had conveniently... Woken up, out of his passed out state, and shot this guy, which was so satisfying. And I was like, thank fuck, he's dead. But just the way that it builds that tension and then... (laughs) Oh, thank God. Again, yeah, clever filmmaking. Yeah. I'm a cop. Well, spoiler alert. (laughs) Then he reveals reveals to the young cop. So Mr. Orange reveals to the young cop that he is, in fact, an undercover cop, which was unexpected. But great twist. Then we see his story. So we go back to how he got involved, how he started his undercover journey and getting, you know, to be accepted into this group of people. We see him learning lines and learning stories. I really enjoyed that part. He's like... Really good. It's, it's good, isn't it? It's like... And again, it's, that, it's showing that, that quality dialogue. I guess even the way that he describes learning the script yeah. is the way that I feel like Tarantino writes his dialogue in the... You know, it has to be specific. Yes. But it has to be like... <laughs> yeah. You know, it's very much You've like, got to know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Were there stalls in the toilet? Did it stink? Yeah. All the, all the detail. I loved that because it was like basically... I mean, it must be what it's like to go undercover. You have to be a good actor. Oh, yeah. Because you have to think on your feet. You have to be living the character, mm. essentially. And, man, that would be rough. Um, not like our old friend in Fast and the Furious. who. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think he did as much <laughs> work. No. no. Anyway, so we find out Mr. Orange is a cop. We come back to present day. The young cop is like, I know we met a couple of weeks ago. And Mr. Orange is like, fuck, I don't remember that. They're like freaking out about if they're going to die, what's going to happen to them. They're both like freaking out a bit. Then the others come back. Fast Eddie is really upset because his BFF, Mr. Blonde, is dead on the floor. 
several bullets in him. He's like, what the fuck? Yeah. And I love that bit where Mr. Orange tries to give the excuse. He's like, who's going to set this guy on fire? Yeah. And then Fast Eddie's like, this guy. And then just yeah, shoots, shoots the cop. Him. It's yeah. like, yeah, again, that sort of, whoa. Yeah, that bit was, I didn't like that bit. I was like, like the, oh. the moment you just didn't, I don't know. Yeah, I know what you're you mean. You're not ready for no, it. No, it's very um, effective. Mm. It provokes an emotional reaction. Yes. Yeah. So obviously the guy's like, fuck. Cause, and then Mr. Orange is like, he was going to steal the stones. He had this whole plan. He was going to shoot you guys when he came, when you guys came back in. Fast Eddie's like, nah, don't buy it. You're bullshitting me. Mm. They're fighting. They're fighting. Mr. White is still standing up for... Um, Mr. Orange, he's like, he's telling the truth, he's telling the truth. And Mr. Pink, who's also there, goes and looks at the cop, the dead cop now, looks at the scars on his face, looks at the fact that his ear's been hacked off, and he's like, well, he was telling the truth yeah. about that part of it. And Mr. Blonde is a psychopath, like we do know. But Farsity doesn't want a bar of it. He's just like, no, nah, he's done time for the family. You know, he's mm. there's no way that he's would have just turned on us like that. And then in walks Joe. In walks the big boss himself, Daddy yeah. Joe. And he's like, this guy... Was a rat. Is a rat. To Point, Mr. Orange. Points to Mr. Orange. This guy's a rat. Brown and Blue are dead. We haven't talked a lot about Mr. Blue. Mr. Blue doesn't get a lot of screen no. time. Um, yeah, but... They're, both of them are a bit like, eh, whatever. Yeah. They're um, the other two guys in the highest. Yeah, they're like... They fill in some yep. blank spots in the screen. The only times. interesting thing about Mr. Blue, of course, was that he was played by... Edward Bunker, who was actually a criminal. Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. So real life experience. Mm. And then he became a crime writer. Then he did dabbled in acting. Oh, well, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Anyway, back to the story. So Joe's like, this guy's, this guy's a rat. He's a cop. He set us up. And they're like, how do you know? Particularly Mr. Um, White, who seems to be very protective mm. of Mr. Orange all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, oh, really not all of a sudden. He yeah. had, they'd got to know each other over the preparation for the heist. Um, he's like, he's just a kid. He didn't do anything. He's taken a bullet in the gut. Da, 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 da. So tensions heighten to the point where Joe pulls a gun on Mr. Orange, the cop, the undercover cop. So Mr. White, White pulls, pulls a gun, gun on Joe. Joe. And then Eddie's like, pulls get gun on Mr. the gun the fuck away from my dad and pulls a gun on Mr. White. So we have a standoff. It's like, at this point, you're just like, fucking hell. They're all, there's oh. so much screaming in this movie. There's so much yelling. Depends, okay, fine. I think it depends on the setting you're watching it in. Because I felt when I was watching this, it really built. This was the, the high point of tension, but also the point of farce, where you're sort of like, Whoa. It was totally, totally farcical. Yeah. The next bit, especially. Yeah. So they're all just standing there yelling at each other until suddenly, bang, 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 all guns go off. The three people fall down. Fall down. <laughs> yeah. If they're dead or not, unclear. There's a lot of groaning going on. Mm. There's a lot of like, ugh, ugh, going on. Mr. Pink, who we kind of forgot about in it's for a hiding. moment there, was yeah. hiding out of the stairs. He crawls out. You remember, he's got... He knows where the diamonds are. He just like, as you would, as Ooh. I would. He's like, uh, step over a couple of bodies. Well, that's just... And that was his thing. Ever since he was in there, he's like, I don't know what I'm doing here. I need to get the fuck out of here. I need to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah. And then he's suddenly he's like, I'm going to get the fuck out of here. So he leaves. And we never find out what happens to him. So, it. yeah, because I hear, you hear the sirens and you hear some gunshots outside. Yeah. And I don't know if that's... that's the, it's, it's ambiguous. Yeah. So he leaves. Whether or not... Yeah, maybe he's off in Hawaii. Maybe not. Who knows? So we're left with... Turns out Mr. White is alive. He's shot, but he's alive. Yeah. He crawls he's over. He's dying. He's dying. He crawls over to old mate Mr. Orange, the mm. undercover cop, and... He's like cradles him in his arms because they obviously had some kind of emotional connection because they spent time together. Then poor I'm a old, cop. <laughs> I'm a cop. Poor old Mr. Orange confesses. I'm sorry, Larry. Confesses that he's a cop, um, and obviously Mr. White is really upset and he like does a lot of groaning and a lot of like noises, and then he pulls out a gun. He's got the gun to Mr. Orange's head. And Justice is about to pull the trigger. The cops burst in, put the gun down, put the gun down. We kind of pan up. The camera kind of pans up. And a gunshot does go off. But again, yeah, ambiguous. Yeah, yeah. And then put the lime in the coconut. A film by Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Choo, 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 choo. The end. Yes. A snappy hour and a uh-huh. half. The perfect timing. Cool. So yeah, now it's time, it. for, time for my review. Yeah. This is supposed to be the rose-tinted review, but... I don't know. Sometimes it's just, it's not. Yeah. Look, I, I still see a lot of merit in this film. But I guess you didn't, you weren't like so in love with this film when you no, watched it, were no, you? No, you were just no. like, this is an important film in yeah. cinema history. And I still think it is. And yeah. I think 
the way the story works, the way the dialogue works, the way that the camera works, there's some bits in it that you're mm. just like, this is great. Yeah. And especially, go watch some of the features, and there's a great feature on this special edition called Class of 92 that looks at the directors of independent cinema in 1992. Oh, cool. Um, and? And, yeah, it just gives an insight into what it was like to so be who, sort who, of on that So who, what are the other, some train. of the big ones? It really focused on Tarantino and then um, on Alexander Rockwell, who did In the Soup, which was like a big Sundance hit. And on uh, Cat Shay, who did Poison Ivy. Oh, so wait, I don't know that movie. Yeah, they haven't sort of had the obviously lasting impact of Tarantino, but no. apparently they were the three sort of big Sundance names oh, of that year. Time. And it, more so, they just sort of talked about how, and they talked to a couple of the Sundance organisers too, and just talked about how like independent cinema, cinema suddenly became a thing, a thing, and yeah. a place to, I guess, experiment with the art form. Yeah, in a way that wasn't necessarily new, but was taking all these techniques and stuff and putting them into a new context. Yeah. I think it wasn't. Yeah, it was different to sort of when you had your Scorsese's, your Lucas's, your uh, Coppola's that yeah. sort of did that wave and were very much in the system, but turning things on their head. Yeah, it was. Yeah, Outside a, a generation the, past that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that was really interesting. So, oh, I was just going to say just to give some other context for the popular mainstream films that were around at the time. So Aladdin was the number one grossing film, 1992. Yep. But then there was like The Bodyguard, um, Basic Instinct, Batman Returns, Sister Act, Lethal Weapon 3, Wayne's World. Yeah. That was cinema. That was the what you would have seen up at the cinemas as you walked past, advertised. So I think this film still, I think, is important in mm. cinema and still good. Like... There are obviously aspects of it that you can discuss as problematic. Yes, of um, course. And we will discuss we will. <laughs> as problematic as well at some point. But yeah, I still think it is an important step in cinema. And I don't think it's... It very much deserves its R rating. And yeah. I, I'm a big fan that in Australia we have a reasonable R. Yeah. In the States it goes PG-13, R. Uh, and if yeah. you say fuck twice, you're on R. Yeah. If you've got any nudity at all, you're straight to R. Yeah. And it's just such a... It's not that, you know, that's bad that we're protecting children from that sort of stuff. It's more so that you all, this is rated R and Moulin Rouge is rated R. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> you've suddenly got, you're like, okay. So much discrepancy once in between. You, yeah, once you can watch an R film, you're, you're opened up to this. Whereas I really think Australia's rating system, as much as it's not the best thing ever, the way that we've got a recommendation yeah. grade of an M. Yeah. You've got an MA15+, plus, which is... Normally, just coarse language or violence that is not so carnivalesque. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, obviously yeah. not sexual, but so so exa- exaggerated to the extent that it's cartoonesque. Yeah. And then, really, we save our eyes for subject matter like this yeah. that is realistic. Which is good because then you do get to trust the system a little bit more. Yeah. Um, um, and just get to, like, <laughs> Peggy here. Pass the cap to me. I, I think, and we do. The only thing that worries me these days with it is that the R rating in its inclusion in television and video games, I still think there's a lack of understanding in that an R is still an R. And now that we have the R rating for video games, it took so long to get it in there that mm. I think people aren't accustomed to seeing R and meaning... No, that is that is that dealing is with content real, yeah. that we shouldn't be... Well, I don't want to say shoulds and should nots, but I think the R is there for a purpose yes. and should really consider it with yes. that media. Yes, it needs it's to not be... about consuming, it's about engaging and yes. understanding. Yeah. And thinking yeah, thinking carefully about what you, if you actually if this is actually worthwhile yeah. for you. And, and not just absorbing what's going on and saying, oh yeah, like you would, you know, a Terminator film, rated MA, because you're like, ha yeah, robots, bang, bang, bang. Yeah, yeah, Hilarious. yeah. Yeah. This, you know, you go, violence. What's its impact? What yeah. does it mean? What yeah. does it mean that there are people like this in the world? Yeah. Is this parody of violence? Is this, you know... It both parodies violence and is not a parody of violence at the same time. No, and it, it comes back to, like, some ideas of tiered viewing and stuff too, which yeah. you sort of go, are you, you allowed... to explain the tiered viewings? So tiered viewing, it's a sort of a bit of a dated concept and it's, a, I guess, a classist concept to an extent. Yeah. So it's one that you don't want to just bring up all the time, but I seem to anyway. But um, I, I think it's true. I don't think it, the I don't think the viewing... I mean, you don't have to look at it as a class related. You can look at it as person by person. Yeah. Basically what it is, as we're hinting at, is it's engaging with media at different levels. Yeah. So are you engaging with it critically? Are you, yes, involved in a conversation about it and understanding what's going on? Or are you just viewing it to absorb yeah. and seeing it sort of as... 
you're taking it at its surface level kind yeah. of the big one that i always bring up when talking about it is wolf on wall street yeah do you watch that movie to sort of look at the complexities of masculinity and the gross nature of capitalism yeah or do you go this guy had a fucking ripper time yeah. just sleeping with chicks yeah. and uh, making cash dollar which is what I think, a cool guy you know <laughs> which i think is linked to your cognitive capacity which is when sometimes the rating system can come in handy and mm. linking it to age because some of the students that i teach would like would watch the wolf of wall street and think what a fucking cool guy yeah um then the same we've talked a lot about with rick and morty because we had students who loved yeah. rick and morty and loved it in the wrong kind of way we we thought that's it um because they were engaging it on that very surface level yeah taking it at its admiring the hyper masculine instead of laughing at it yes exactly not understanding that it was going hyper for a reason mm. yeah and and the big one that it's where it comes up all the time too is south park which we'll get to because yep. i've got bits and pieces of south park on yep. dvd yeah and i could talk for ages about south park its impact what its purpose is yeah but yeah that's the one that people go it's not for children it yep. is a cartoon yeah yep, 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 yep. yes it's not for children and it's not for even yeah. like 13 year olds mm. probably go over their head like yep. yeah yeah uh, yeah it's like are you getting the references are you getting the nuances the, yeah. of this product so anyway i still think it's, it's a great film yeah for those for those, for those reasons. reasons yeah i um i agree for the most part for sure like i feel like technically it's a very clever film and like many of tarantino's films i haven't seen them all but like many of his films i don't know it's like it's got really good pacing it's got interesting dialogue interesting characters the technical aspects so the way the camera is used the way the editing's done the way like even like the mise-en-scene like the costuming and the the color palette and the set design that kind of stuff is all really enjoyable and done really specifically and for a reason the soundtrack for this one is amazing i can't remember what listening to the soundtrack for other i killed the kill bill soundtrack i enjoyed yeah pulp fiction soundtrack is pretty good too. yeah so that's um, another yeah. yeah another aspect of his cinema that is enjoyable mm. but yeah, I have a lot of problems with Tarantino as a person and it's hard for me to separate the two. And I know sometimes maybe we should. I think people could, we could learn a lot from him the way he crafts cinema and the way he creates cinema. But I think he himself is just such a problematic person. And, and, and oh, But I don't know, I find it really hard watching him do interviews. The interviews on this too, like I just kept on, I felt like screaming at the screen, like don't like, don't speak. Yeah. Just stop speaking because <laughs> yeah. he digs himself into these holes. Yeah. And I think it comes from a social awkwardness and I can't wait. We get to do later on on this podcast, Full Tilt Boogie, yeah. which is a documentary about the making of um, From Dust Till Dawn. Oh. And it basically just is a fly on the wall production yeah. looking at when Tarantino and George Clooney just hung out for two weeks because they are the stars of this film. Yeah. And just seeing the... Uh, <laughs> The complete opposites of George Clooney, who's this cooler than cool. Like, yeah. he, off camera, he's cooler than cool. Everyone yeah. wants to talk to him. And Tarantino had been like, oh, yeah, I'm like that too. And like, and he, just, he says these things and everyone sort of like looks at him and is like, uh... And George is like, hey, man. Like, Relax. Yeah. yeah. I think that is a... That's a problem as well because I feel like maybe he is one of those kids who he thinks... He feels like he's misunderstood. He feels like he's marginalised and he's going to like you know, mm. tell his story and is going to do it in the way that he fucking wants to. Yeah. And no one can tell him not to. So there's a lot in this film. Like the, the first note that I made, I'll just have a look through my notes and mm. see what I had written. Well, that's it. We'll do, I'll just, while you're looking for that, I'll just say, yeah, his voice was very much established through exploitation cinema. Yes. And I guess the problem that I always come to is the voice that he established, is he actually supposed to have that voice yes. is that is he should yes. he be the one so speaking what, his voice what you mean by voice is like not his literal voice no not, not his literal <laughs> no his literal voice is almost as nasal as me yeah. which is crazy but you mean his style yeah. his aesthetic the stories that he tells and even the, the the way dialogue is spoken yes yeah so he he was very influenced by the black exploitation movement which was a time in hollywood where the producers realized that oh, wait, um, African-Americans like watching movies and we could uh, make some money off that. Yeah, exactly. And, and so they started to produce more films with black characters and storylines that were more... That's it. We're not talking about the established Hollywood. We're talking about people that are like, there's an audience. Yeah. If I can throw a movie together for five bucks, yes. everyone over there sees it and they pay five bucks. Yeah. I see profit. Yeah. And so, so, there, there was, so there was black exploitation. There was yeah. sex exploitation. Yes. Um, there was a, a lot of queer cinema too came from that because they saw there's an established audience 
as long as we don't pay any money to anyone and we just sort of throw this together in four seconds. Yeah, so they're not the highest quality films, generally speaking. Yeah. I think Um, Roger Corman. Yeah. But I feel like it led to a lot of people who, like a lot of straight, white, cis, gender people making films that weren't really about Yes. Them. They yeah. they shouldn't have been in talking in that voice. They shouldn't no. have been telling those stories. No. But the people who were marginalised didn't have a chance to make the films. So then it's like this real twisteroo where you're like, fuck, this is exploiting these people, but it's also the only representation that these people that see getting. of themselves that's on screen. It. So that's why, yeah, they're, they're so important, but also you got to look at that critical lens. You can't be like, well, ain't it great that, you know, we had all this cinema, yep. so that means that that's done. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, we're, yeah, yeah. We're done. All, um, uh, I guess... Racism is over. Yeah, race, yeah that's it. That's <laughs> all. Racism's over because uh, everyone's got their own cinema. Yeah, <laughs> great, that's how it's it It's just the white one that's a prestige one. Yeah, obviously, yeah, of course, yeah. We put the money into that one. Yeah, yeah. that's it. Um, and the straight storylines, mostly male, etc., yeah. etc. So, yeah, very influenced by that. So when we're talking about his voice, that's he writes in a way that was very influenced by this type of cinema, which again, should he be writing in that way? Who knows? Lots of people have different opinions about it. A really great um, the story along those lines is Ivan Reitman, who um, the director up in the air, what else? Thank you for smoking those films. Every year he um, stages a couple of script readings of famous films. Yeah. And one year he staged Reservoir Dogs yeah. with a completely black cast. Yeah. And, a lot of the people that sort of did the commentary on it was so very much like it really worked incredibly Made well because it was sense. dialogue that was written for yeah. black characters. Yeah. Like, yeah. It was, I mean, yeah. but there was no black character. There was one black character. There was character one black in character, this. and in that script reading, they swapped that out for one the one white, white character. character. Yeah. yeah. So that that idea has been, um, I guess, explored to its yeah. full extent there. Yeah. Yeah. We're not the first to tread these oh, yeah, yeah. parts <laughs> of <laughs> this way of discussing Tarantino. But yeah, so I think the first thing that I noticed about the film was how. Uh, offensive i guess or how i don't know there's the, a lot of words thrown around there's a lot of the n-words used a lot and i think the that's, that's, used, that's the, the first one, one that's incredibly jarring yeah. the first one that i noticed was in the opening scene when they're at the diner and one of the mr orange won't chip in a tip and he goes on this massive rant about how we shouldn't have to pay tips the waitresses are just doing their job and everyone else is like i never got tipped at mcdonald's i never <laughs> got tipped at mcdonald's so why should they get tipped da, da, da. and everyone else is like you're a nutcase don't you know that this is a hard job that's only one of the only jobs that a woman can get where she can make enough money to you know look after yeah. her family whatever and then one of the characters says something like god that's so cold i don't even know a jew who would do that yeah, yeah. so ugh. right from the start yeah and i was that was i was like whoa that's pretty yuck um and then again so you got working with you guys is like working with the fucking n-word so lots of N-words dropped yeah. all throughout in a very derogatory way as oh, well. Yeah. Very um, much I mean, so. can a white person say it in a way that's not derogatory? And that's that's it. And then also lots of gay jokes thrown yep. in there. So you're a fucking homosexual. I'm going to fuck you up the butt. That, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. All that's all in there. And I, I like in defence of the language, which <laughs> I know, like, yeah. it does. I don't think this is exactly what it meant to at the time, but very much watching it now, it does remind you that these are all really bad men. They're awful men. Yeah. And that's what I, I sort of got out of it. And that's what my reading of it now is you sort of got to go, every time that they say something like that is a reminder to you as the audience to go, don't like anyone here. Yeah. Don't like anyone. Don't yeah. like anyone. They're all gross. They're all bad men. Maybe Mr. Orange is playing a part, so... yeah. Give him I don't know. Time. And I the guy know. gets his ear chopped off. You yeah. know? <laughs> He's had a hard day. <laughs> But um, it, it works in that sense, I think, uh, in a more modern reading to sort of go, yeah, we're, we're looking at awful people. And I yeah. think when later on when we look at some of um, Scorsese's gangster films, yeah. which, again, especially racially-wise, yeah. there's a lot of that thing. I think it is a quick way, maybe not the best way, not definitely not the best way, but it's a quick way of establishing that these are awful people. But, and but, the, but again, that's a problem. I mean, that's, uh, I guess... That's another reason that you need to engage with it properly. So if you were a 13-year-old watching this... You which probably you shouldn't think, be. Which you shouldn't be. You probably think, oh, it's so cool to talk like that. And I think, maybe I'm wrong, but I think that Tarantino was trying to be cool yeah. when he was using this language. Oh, yeah. And I, he, I, he does think that these guys are cool in this. Like, he, I think he's he uses that language. He wants to be a part of this world that he's not actually a part of. Yeah. And he said to the point where he's, he's fucking said stuff about how if he's not allowed to say these words in his 
films. He should be able to write what he wants to write. He should be able to write it in a way he wants to write it. And if not, that's racist, man. So again, very defensive. Very yeah, like just (laughs) keep it fucking shut. You're in our case. Yeah, I, he's a massive asshole. That's it, and, and my reading there is a very modern reading of it. Too. Yeah, it's not a not one meant for when it came out. And I think no, obviously, if we were in 1992, this discussion of language probably wouldn't have got as much. No, as I thought. Yeah, which is yeah, awful. yeah, very true. <laughs> so some other things I had was oh, at one point they were just all screaming at each other, and I was like, I wonder if a group of women doing a heist that went wrong would react the same way. Like, it's just another example of where there's this representation of men as having... When their egos are bruised, when something has gone wrong, as turning to aggression as the first port of call. And that, I think, is damaging. Yeah, but isn't this one... Like, but again, look, we're looking at it from different angles. It is is a damaging portrayal. But I, I think that's what I get out of this. This is just a perfect parody of so yes hyperviolence and masculinity i think in some moments i think the, it is but yeah. at some moments i don't think it is the moment where they all shoot dead fine and they're all left there to you know and mr pink kind of walks over the top of them and walks out the door and they're all lying there like this is what we've come to kind of scenario where they've all just been arguing each other and now they're all lying there dead and you're yeah. like you know you, you get your comeuppance and that's when it does turn into that kind of moment of like oh okay what was the point of all that fighting? What was the point of all that? It's just all bullshit anyway. And it leads to us being dead. It's just a massive waste of time. But even like the, the through line of the act like a professional, I'm a professional, you're a professional. And just the, <laughs> the whole idea that they just, they just turn to nothing in a second. Like right from the start of who's a rat? You're a rat. I'm a rat. No, fuck you. You're a rat. And it's just <laughs> yeah. the, the, the fact that, you know, just all of it is just about like, no, I'm better. No. And it's just so childish and whingy. I just think it, it just captures it without it being like, Two on the nose without it being like... So maybe that went over my head then. I don't know. I think... I definitely think at some point he hits that parody moment perfectly. And you think... You get that, like, satire. You get that, like, element of... Peggy agrees with me. Yeah. Um, You get that moment of, like, yeah, this is making a commentary on the pointlessness of all this rubbish. But there are times when... And again, maybe it does come down to who's watching. Obviously, everything comes down to who's watching. Yeah. I, I don't know. I feel like, because you're right, like the moment where they all shoot each other, or even the moment of, like, I'm a carp, Larry, like, which yes. is sort of like, yeah. I don't know. I feel like and those think... beats beat harder because if you just kept on hitting that drum and sort of made every bit like that much, it wouldn't have parody, as much of an it would be, impact. you know, everyone's yeah. slipping over on blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah. I think it is a fine line, and depending on how you watch it and who you who you are you'll probably get my side or paul's side differently yeah and the best thing about it is that you can have this discussion with people again yeah. engaging with the, Please with the do. text and, yeah. and looking at it that's, don't that's let, what it is don't let your 13 year olds watch it yeah what else do i have written down i had a couple other things like oh yeah i think i went is one another one of those ego moments is like when he's like who the fuck are you calling my boss you yeah. know like, yeah, that's it. <laughs> who calling my boss but yeah. That was another one of them. That was a moment where it was like a bit parody. Yeah. Like, yes. But even the, the troughs of there, everyone gets real panicky and then someone's like, be cool. I'm so much better. I'm being cool. And they were like, oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's, yeah. The, the ups and downs and the, the repetitions. The other thing I had was, oh, I thought the names were funny. Like, that. oh, they have that, they have a section in the flashback where they go back to where Joe is uh, pointing the names. <laughs> so he's saying, you're Mr. Orange, you're Mr. Blue, you're Mr. Brown, whatever. Yeah. And obviously all the guys are like, oh, why am I Mr. Brown? Why Mr. Am Brown's I? a bit close to Mr. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Mr. Pink's a bit close to Mr. Vagina. Yeah, that's it. Right. So, like, that kind of stuff. That I found that scene quite funny because it it's is. like, it, again, it's like, the ridiculousness of the situation. I can't let you pick your own names because everyone picks Mr. Black. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then the last scene, which maybe we can kind of talk about this scene in more detail now, is the ear and the music scene mm. that I had. I just put down on my notes, I put ear plus music. And then I put um, a green faced vomiting emoji. <laughs> I felt so sick that time. Um, I, it was just too much because the music if you haven't seen the scene it's, it's still as wheels stuck in the middle with you yeah. karaoke classic yeah you know great song yeah. yeah so and he's like dancing around and then that's like 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 your sister was talking about the juxtaposition in that scene of the upbeat it's upbeat song yeah and that's really disgusting gory scene you know he's got his switchblade out there's blood everywhere he's hacking off this guy's ear which you don't see you see the start of the hacking mm-hmm. off the ear but then the camera pans away Thank yep. God. Um, but this music playing, the whole, the juxtaposition between those two 
things. There's really upbeat, happy music. I don't think I can ever listen to that song the same way again. <laughs> I just love the the moment when he steps out of the warehouse and the, you hear the music die down and yeah. he gets the gasoline can yeah. and he comes back. Uh, it's beautiful to watch yeah. to an extent that it's also disgusting. Um, what we'll do is we'll it's chuck up on... It's technically very... Yeah, technically amazing. Brilliant, brilliant yes. to watch. Yes. Physically makes me want to vomit. And that's it. And that's it's pushing the boundaries... Yes, and it's, it and it does. It's effective. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's just it. And I think that's what really that scene in particular really pushed this film to something new. Yeah, and that's what I think makes him clever in this. And they think if you did this a little bit worse, which people do, people yeah. try and like do the juxtaposition thing, and you yeah. just go, that's just grotesque. Yeah, this works in the way that a it is wonderfully shot. Yeah, and b. You've had these sort of rumours of this guy's a psychopath, this guy's yeah, a psychopath, yeah, yeah. this guy's a psychopath. They're all fucking awful people. Yeah. How can he be a psychopath? And they're like, ah, this is how he's a yeah. psychopath. And yeah. then it's just capped off with that the shots to the chest yeah. as he's just about to light it. So you've yeah. had this whole, like, your stomach's churning, yeah. you're freaking out. You're basically in cold sweats in that scene. It's yeah. that horrific. It's really gross. It's awful. I mean, I'm assuming this is how it got its R rating. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I hope there's some other reasons. But I think, <laughs> yeah... Um, so you're basically in cold sweats, like, because he's, he's going to light him up and you're like, this is going to be horrific. And then yeah. he gets the shots to the chest and it's that relief makes the scene yeah. something really special. Yeah. Um, what we'll do is we'll put up on Facebook the uh, Simpsons parody of that scene, <laughs> which is just brilliant because they take the piss out of Tarantino, I think, better than others. It's an yeah. itchy and scratchy cartoon. Okay, yeah. And um, itchy yeah. scratch, scratches you and then sets him on fire. And then yeah. Tarant- Tarantino comes up and he's like, what I'm trying to say, man, is violence is everywhere and it's on your TV. And then he just cuts his head off. And, <laughs> okay, yeah. cool. But, Sounds good. Yeah, they asked Tarantino to actually do the voice there and he obviously got offended because he was like... No Don't one, make fun of me. No one can take the piss out of me. Yes. Only I can take the piss oh from people. Oh, my God. You know? Of course he did. That yeah. just proves my point that he's yeah. just a terrible human being. I did just want to... A couple of things I wanted to cut, touch on myself. Sally Mankey, the director, the director, the editor of Reservoir Dogs, Tarantino's editor. A woman. Yeah. Woo! The only one that touched the film. Yeah, well, we can also talk a little bit about female representation in a second too, but yeah. she is a very good editor. Yes. Uh, which you can tell from this film. Yes. And she edited all of Tarantino's films up to Inglorious Bastards, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, cool. Um, which she won the Academy Award for. Wow. And then she unfortunately died. Oh, and if you've noticed something about Tarantino's films since she passed away, they go for a long, long time. Ah. Oh. To the extent that there's some bits in it where you just go, was this necessary? Yeah. But the problem is you get a new editor in, yep. someone that hasn't been with Tarantino since Maybe Sundance doesn't. Boost Camp. Boot and camp. also he's like, Tarantino's now this big deal. That's it. Can you stand up to him? Yeah. Does he say, we need this? We yep. need some more shots of feet. Yeah. 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 Anyway, I wonder yeah, about that's him. Really interesting. As much as, have you seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood yet? No, no, I haven't seen. I actually don't know if I've seen anything post Inglorious um, Bastards. Bastards. Yeah. It, it's interesting because it's still getting a lot of hype, Oscars wise, and it's still a good film. But I just wonder, will he ever be out? Yeah, <laughs> like he's done. I'm not trying to like bag him out off, <laughs> but I just wonder if he's ever going to reach those heights again. Because yeah, I, I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood probably is his best film if it had been edited better. Wow, yeah. In my I, humble opinion. My humble opinion. That's it. I mean, you do vote in the Oscars, so yeah, that's it. Yeah. I guess, that's it. So um, yeah, but like, it, it's really interesting just how much of a role she played I yeah. think, in making them like reining it in, maybe yeah, like it. tightening it up. Yeah, because um, I can imagine him as a director just being like this and this and this mm. and this. And I think he still obviously like has fingerprints all over it, but to, yeah, to have a working relationship like that is just it's so important. Yes, yeah, so so important. Yeah. I did want to talk a little bit about the special features, awesome. um, which gets into female representation. There was a female character in this film who was cut. She was another detective that was running a lot of the research on the different gang members. Oh, so okay. um, when he found out names, she'd do the research. research and, yeah. Um, yeah. So it's just interesting that there was a female character that yeah. was just, that's yeah. the first thing to go. Yeah. Because, yeah, there's absolutely no other. There's that one woman who walks across them while they're, so they're like talking through the plan. Mm-hmm. Of what they're going to do. So Mr. Oh. Orange and Mr. White. And he's like, okay, where's this person going to be? Where's this person going to be? And Mr. Orange is like, he's going to be here. He's going to be here. And he's like, that woman's ass. Gonna and he's be, like, um, on my dick. Yeah. On my lap, on my dick. Something like that. And you're yeah. Like, oh. Which, again, looking through my very manicured lens, <laughs> it, you can sort of see that that's him 
understanding and being accepted into the yes because that's he's the undercover cop he's trying to and at that point you know he's the undercover cop as well so you're kind of like appreciative of his bravado and being like Mm. yeah that's probably fits in well with the group then we also have the female character that shoots mr orange oh true yes yes and then gets Um, shot yeah 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 Yeah, which again i think you need that because then you can be like all right Mr. Orange is also a bit of a bastard too, so... Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Fuck them all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Uh, other special features I did watch. I watched the original trailer. That's a well-cut trailer. Oh. Man, that sells that movie good. Really? Yeah, that trailer, I can understand why people wanted to see this. <laughs> um, I wonder at, if she cut that as well. I also, yeah, watched a couple of the interviews with the cast. Sort of, they were promotional at the time, so yeah. they weren't much. And yeah, that Class of 92 stuff as well. On there, there's a lot of other stuff. Oh, no, the... The best thing that I did watch too was, so Tarantino received some money off the back of doing sort of like a Sundance upcoming director's camp. Right. Where he shot, sort of shot some scenes out and it was just him and Steve Buscemi. Oh. And Tarantino's playing the other parts and Steve Buscemi plays a, sort of a bit of a combination between Mr. Pink and Mr. White. The yeah. dialogue obviously swaps around once yeah. they've worked it out. But the most interesting thing is these scenes are almost word for word exactly what happens in the film. Wow. And you just think, because the actors are so good in this and the dialogue seems so natural yeah. and almost to the level like, they must just be sort of ad-libbing a bit here. Yeah. But no, that no. is to a T. Yeah. Exactly. Almost like the spacing of it. Yeah. And it's just amazing to see that the script is already there. Yeah. And then it's just given to some world-class actors. Some amazing actors. Just, who just... Yeah. Um, put that final polish on yes it just it is incredibly well acted there's not one character except for tarantino who yeah, makes who, you like who dies off pretty quick yeah like, yeah yeah <laughs> fuck it yeah. Um, he's good at being a dead body oh yeah great yeah um which not everyone is <laughs> really? sometimes you sometimes in films a little bit of like, movement or, or just a bit stiff like <laughs> yeah. i'm dead now i've just bunched up my body you can't see it no, you're a podcast <laughs> my question i don't yeah. know if you know the answer to this but how did he get such a good cast when it was his first film i don't know i wish i'd looked into that yeah he, he, he'd obviously had a relationship with steve buscemi who was not big famous yet. famous then yeah um and Tim Roth, the same, yeah. uh, was very much sort of coming up and was doing a lot of indie sort of stuff. So those two, though, now you're like, whoa. Yeah, back the then time. would have been like, oh. yeah. Harvey Cartel's a yeah interesting one. Yeah, he was had a producer credit as well. Yeah, maybe just read a script, read a script and had was faith. like, yeah. Well, being involved in that Sundance Academy probably opened up a couple of doors. People had probably seen those test shoots yeah. and sort of seen like this is oh, yeah, this something is I want to get involved yeah. with. Yeah. So look, I wish I knew that. If you do. In contact first. Let us know. Yeah. We've got one more thing to do. We do? Yeah. Oh my god, I'm actually intrigued. Yeah. So what are you going to do with it? Well, look, this one's been a real humdinger. <laughs> um, what a word. Multiple layers. I do still think it's an excellent film. Do you have any other Tarantino? Do I have any other Tarantino? Yes, I've got Pulp Fiction. Okay. Which... I also have Pulp Fiction. Yep. And I have Inglourious Bastards. Oh, great. And I've got some of the other cities written. I don't have any other directors. Yeah. What I kind of felt when I was watching it is I want this film still to be around and still be something I can discuss and watch watch with people. Yep. But I want it to be the film that I'm looking at the TV guide and go, oh, Thursday night, they're showing Reservoir Dogs. I might stop and watch that. Yeah. To only get to like 10 p.m. and go, whew. Bedtime. <laughs> yeah. That first half hour is great, but I need to go to bed. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, it comes up on an Aster calendar and go, oh, oh yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd yeah, love yeah. to go see that. And, You're you know, not going to get it out from your collection. and I'm just not. Yeah. I'm just not going to. It's not a film that um lazing about on a Saturday and go, oh, yeah, that'll be a bit of fun. Because yep. you, you want to sort of have some occasion it. to it to, yeah. I guess, as we said, engage with it yeah. on a level. You can't just be, like, on your phone chilling out. Yeah, you don't need to with Beetlejuice, for example. <laughs> Great film. Yeah. Different um, level. So, yeah, I think it is going to leave my possession. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to go to the op shop. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. And, again, I just hope people who pick it up... So, I wonder aren't... if they... Because you can't sell an R18 film to so, someone who's under 18. I wonder what that happens in an op shop. I've noticed this at um, my favourite op shop, which is a Savers. Yeah. They've actually, all their R-rated DVDs are in a case. Oh. So. You do. So they are monitoring it. Yeah. That's good. The MA ones aren't, but yeah. I guess they could still be ID'd. I've, I get ID'd all the time. I remember. <laughs> Paul, stop bragging. <laughs> You're so young looking. But it just seems like, just for shit things, Wolf and Wall Street, which came out when I was clearly over 18, I got ID'd at the cinema Whoa. going into that. Which I'm, I'm glad they were doing again because yeah. we talked about how it's not a film for children. Yeah. One time I bought a comic book and they were that like, was 15 plus. Oh, 15 plus. Yeah. And I got ID. Wait, 
wait, in the re- in the in last like, five school. years. No, no, what? this was uh, I was only eighteen. Okay, okay. so I was oh, a lot younger. That's alright. I know, but it was just. I've seen your photo. I've seen a photo of you from when you were yeah. young. You do look like a baby. It is true, but I just feel like you know people always like, oh, I got ID'd at a bottle shop. I'm like, I've been ID'd at a comic store. At a comic store, <laughs> yeah. which the guy doing it like was like. I'm so sorry, but like I don't know whether they just sure. had like a yeah. PD on it or something, Maybe, whether like, yeah. or crackdown. Yeah, but yeah, there in the cinema, as yeah. I was like holding my popcorn and my drink, I remember going in. He's like, "Oh, I'm gonna have to see your ID." I'm like, "Really?" <laughs> <laughs> Juggling it all around, get it out. It's like, "Oh, oh yeah." <laughs> <laughs> I'm embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, and I'm with a bunch of people too. Like I just yeah. don't. Did yeah. anyone else get ID? No. Oh, they were like taking the little brother to the cinema. <laughs> yeah, well that's it. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe take it to that savers then. Yeah, we I will. know it's safe from the thirteen-year-olds. Yeah, um, oh, there's one more little tangent too. They made a video game of this. Mm-hmm. It's never been released in Australia or mm-hmm. New Zealand. Video game ratings in Australia are fucked just because they held off that R rating for so long. Yeah. So so much MA stuff got in that should have been R. Yeah. To the extent now that I don't think people even understand that there's an R rating, so yeah. everything gets bought for everyone. Yeah. Yeah, it, I think it put back video games and understanding video games in Australia especially. But this one was refused classification. A lot because you, you played oh, the out the story game of the was, film yeah. and part of that is torture and playing yeah. out torture is something... It, look, it has come up in some games recently and, you know, we can, maybe I'll start a different podcast talking about <laughs> video Please game do, yeah. violence. <laughs> but this one particularly, they were just like, no. like Just no. Just no. Uh, yeah. It was completely panned. The video yeah. game apparently was just absolute shit. Yeah. When was it? Oh, it was only a few years ago. I oh. can't remember exactly. But yeah, banned in Australia. But what a stupid concept for a game. Yeah. Like, this it's isn't... Gross. yeah. The, it's gross, and it's not like the heist is part of this. No. Oh, yeah. This is... It's a commentary on, on violence. It's yeah. a, that's not the format for that, you yeah. know? Like, it's just such a stupid cash-in. Oh, and it bombed out, too. No one that. bought it. I, yeah. just don't, I just don't see what the appeal would be to sort of be, like, clicking through scenes of this. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. So, anyway, that was just a little tidbit at the end. It is going to the op shop. Very good. Both discs and the tin case. Oh, you don't want to keep it as a... No, tin case is what I need to get rid of. <laughs> and I really need to slim down the stuff. Okay. And hopefully we'll do Pulp Fiction soon. And, yeah, yeah, get rid of that, that one too. Got, yep. Unless you keep yes. it, you might decide to keep it. I might. You might. So that's it. That is it. Thank you so much for listening. Oh, one more thing. Mm-hmm. Another year of film. Or do you think we covered that before? Another year of film. Last week you promised me... Another year of film. I'm going to go with 1994. You're going to go with 1994? Yep. Tell me what I'll... was released in 1994. 1994 in cinema, and look, I don't want this to be that it's better than 1999, I guess. I just want to say that there's other years that have... Excelled. Excelled, and then we sort of forget about it. 1994, I'm just going to start off with the highest grossing. You got The Lion King. Oh, it was a good film. Forrest Gump. Oh, yeah, didn't really like it, but whatever. You got True Lies, which is a classic of the genre. Uh, You got Speed. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got, Paul, is, Paul looks well, so look, pained as he's about to I'm say. I'm going to say one. you got Dumb and Dumber, which is probably the only Fairly Brothers film that's worth remembering. Okay. Um, again, it was an invention of a genre. Um, <laughs> maybe we'll revisit that at some stage. I don't Do you have it? On a DVD though. Oh, no. Four Weddings and a Funeral. Oh yeah. Um, good Interview film. with the Vampire. Clear good and Present film. Danger. The Mask. Um, Not great. Hmm? The Mask. I don't know. I think it was. It was Jim Carrey's so irritating. Yeah. Okay. Look. Nuts. <laughs> what else you got? You got. Ed Wood was that year, one of my oh, favourite yeah. films. Bullets over Broadway. You got a lot. You got a lot of stuff. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. You might convince me yeah. yet. I was actually just listening to a podcast this week and they were saying, again, because everyone's talking about how 1999 is the best year ever. They were like, will 2019 be a supersede it though? Really? This yeah. year? Yeah. Do you there's been heaps of good stuff this year? More so, I think there's a lot more stuff coming out as we get to the end of the year. Because oh, um, I have not been to the cinema yeah maybe all year and again, but that's, that's just me i like to stay home it is a very hard one to judge while you're in it yes, whether it's going to be true. something that yeah. stands the test of time very true all right well i'll consider it i didn't want to say that i had a better year i just wanted to say that i don't think 99 is the only year the only year yeah, we get it yeah. we accept your apology good i'm gonna edit out most of it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> all right well i think that brings us to a close Sure does. Thank you again for listening. Not only this week, but previous weeks. We do enjoy seeing those listens go up. We certainly do. Yep. It's our favourite pastime. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, But as usual, if you can, please rate, review and subscribe. That would be awesome. Like always, just giving us a little review on iTunes or on Facebook is great. A a star rating is good. A written review is even better. Just say one word. It's fine. Whatever. Just saying, nineteen ninety nine. Five stars, nineteen ninety nine. 
But yeah, thanks again. If you want to have a look at some of the images we post or see that very clever Tarantino ripoff that The Simpsons did, that's on our Facebook and our Instagram, which you can find us at... DVD Clutter, which is D-V-D-E-C-L-U-T-T-E-R. Yeah. If you haven't vagued out, just yep. spell it out. You'll be fine. Sound this it out. This is K-Billy's Sounds of the 70s. <laughs> yes. I think the soundtrack was important in this film. Oh, yeah. Very important. It's a great soundtrack. Everyone, Spotify it now. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's it yeah. from us. It's been fun. It's been great. Don't like know what we're doing next week. We are no. living on the edge at the moment. That's it. Tune in again next week to see what we're doing. And thanks for listening. Goodbye. Bye. Steve Brashimi's ca- oh fuck. Steve Buscemi. Steve Brashimi. Buscemi. Buscemi. Steelers wheel stuck in the middle with you. And oh, look, is that what it is? Yeah. Oh, and can you say it properly? Uh, Steelers wheel. <laughs> the you song one. <laughs> fuck you. Yeah. I'm the professional here. <laughs> I'm the professional. I'm the professional. Um, Steelers wheel stuck in the middle with you. <laughs> okay, wait. Let's do that.